Hey folks, this is Danielle. I just wanted to come in here at the top to thank all of you for your patience with this delay. As some of you may be aware, my father passed away on May 6th, and I've had a difficult time dealing with it, as you might imagine. While we'd grown apart these past several years, he was a shining fixture of my childhood, one of my loudest cheerleaders, and the one who inspired my love for reading and for animals. So, his death has severely impacted my ability to produce this podcast. Uh, Jade and I still intend to release episodes on the Elemis Chronicles, on Spec Bio stuff, on some kind of whole series discussion and a game of Kubrick, but I really don't know what the timeline of all of those will be. If you consider this the end for the podcast, I totally understand. Thank you again for your support and for listening to us. This podcast has truly been a labor of love for me, and I feel honored, frankly, that folks would want to hear my opinions on this old-ass children's book series. Uh, so, without further delay, here is book 54. Keep fighting. Eight, so, so fifty-four, fifty-four. Um, <laughs> sure is, sure is. Yeah. Uh, so we we ended book fifty-three with Jake giving the order to Rachel to go, uh, presumably to do something to stop Tom. Um. And, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read a, a good bit of this first part, uh, cause there's a lot. Um, but, you know, we, we, we do the thing where we read a bit and then we summarize a bit and then we talk a little bit, so. Uh, if you notice the voice changing partway through, it's because Danielle has tagged me in, <laughs> um, for reasons that may or may not become obvious. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, cause we have a sort of, as we are now going to Rachel's perspective, having mm -hmm. left Jake's, and the rest of this book is split perspective. Yes. Uh, it's, sorry, I should say it's rotating perspectives. Um, and yeah, we're going to get a little bit of like, uh, much like in a heist movie, this is how we got here. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. 
My name is Rachel. I knew what was coming. I knew. I'd seen it in Jake's eyes. And you know what? I was scared. I never thought I would be. Cassie thinks I'm fearless. Marco thinks I'm reckless. Tobias, well, Tobias loves me. I guess they all do in different ways. Jake, too. But Jake had to do the right thing. I felt sorry for him, you know. He carried the weight so long. He's made hard decisions. None as hard as this, maybe. I didn't blame him, not even for a minute. But I was scared. I guess no one wants to die. I guess everyone is scared when the time comes. We were so close. We were right there, right at the finish line. I'd already survived so many times when I shouldn't have. It seemed unfair. To come this far, get this close. Jake gave me the job because he knew that only I could do it. Would do it. Axe might have, sure, but he was needed for his skills. Me, I'm not the computer genius. I'm the one you send when you need someone to be crazy, to do the hard thing. I don't know whether I'm proud of that or not. I was Jake's insurance policy. He thought maybe he wouldn't have to use me. He hoped, anyway. But deep down, he knew and I knew, and we both hid the truth from the others, because Cassie couldn't let Jake make that decision, and Tobias couldn't let me. And those two, by loving us, would have screwed everything up. It was a war, after all. A war we had to win. So, you know, just Rachel things. We've got to talk before. I know you want to read those, but we yeah. do have to talk about the line. Yes. Um, we we both hid the truth from the others because Cassie couldn't let Jake make that decision and Tobias wouldn't let me. And those two, by loving us, would have screwed everything up. Uh-huh. i die. <laughs> yeah. But there is something, and it is like an ongoing theme with Jake and, Tob- uh, Jake and Rachel and their ties to humanity. Mm-hmm. And by being forced to reckon with their own humanity, not being able to do the deed that's got to be done. So I can't think of myself as a person. I can't mm-hmm. think of myself as somebody worthy of being loved right now. Mm-hmm. Benny LaFontaine, I'm looking at you. Richard, when you eventually get to this episode, <laughs> I'm looking at you. Yeah, and we already know how Cassie would act in this situation we've because seen we've it. seen it. Yeah, we've seen how Tobias reacts to this. Yeah. Um, so, uh, we get uh, yet another introduction to to the war. Because it has been a month, happening. in theory, yeah. and that's if you were, like, waiting on tenterhooks. Yeah. So... Uh, and she talks about how she's been a whole zoo. She's done so much stuff with this technology. Um, how it all began with a chance meeting with Elfangor. Coincidence? No. History. And a helping hand from the Elemist, who of course never lends a helping hand. Um, talks about how they frustrated Visser 3, now Visser 1's life. Um... And it's come time to settle things. It talks about she talks about the escalation of the war, um, and how now the gloves are off, and as far as she's concerned, that's better because mm-hmm. now they can settle it. Yeah. Um, she talks about how Cassie let Tom take the morphing cube, and that changed everything. How a revolution is brewing within the Yurk ranks, and that has changed a whole lot of stuff. Um, how the Andalite fleet is closing in, but they're gonna obliterate Earth because they don't think there's another option. Um, and Tom betrayed Visser One. Um, 
That's where Jake saw his chance. Tom's yerk is smart. Jake is smarter. Now Jake and the others had control of the yerk foolship. Tom had control of the Visser's own personal blade ship. Tom, the yerk in Tom's head, was closing in for his final act of betrayal. He would kill his master, Visser One, and doom his fellow yerks. He thought we were already dead. Surprise, Tom. My favorite morph was the grizzly bear, seven feet tall, standing erect. You cannot imagine the power, especially when united with human intelligence and knowledge. Compared to my grizzly morph, a human being is like something made out of glued-together popsicle sticks. How many times have I felt that change as muscle piles on muscle, as the thick brown fur covers me, as the rail-spike claws grow from my fingers? The grizzly bear and I had been through a lot together. I would go grizzly to kill Tom. Uh, we get Rachel's perspective, as we said, backtrack a little bit. She's currently lurking as a flea on Tom's head. Yep. Um, but knows that she's got to morph soon. Already, I think it's just the implication. She needs to be off him so she can demorph mm-hmm. and moves away from any sources of what, so as far away so she can't smell blood anymore. So she knows mm-hmm. the flea will not get like distracted. But we hear the perspective of the crow of the blade ship watching as the uh, pool ship gets flushed. Mm-hmm. And they can't, and the people on this, this, this group of controllers can't figure out why the Visser would do that. Mm-hmm. And Tom is like, it just saves us the trouble of killing them ourselves. But he, even he is like, why would the Visser do this? Because mm-hmm. it hasn't occurred to him that Jake and the others could be alive. Mm-hmm. This is what happens with megalomania. You become <laughs> too sure of yourself. Yep. Uh, they hail the Visser, um, and meanwhile, Rachel is under a desk beginning to demorph cautiously. Um, she listens as Tom gloats over the Visser, um, and she, (laughs) there's no room under the desk for her to morph Grizzly, but everyone is watching the screen. Um, so she starts the morph, um, and is pretty certain that she's gonna have to do what she's been sent here to do. Um, and if she isn't needed to do that, well, this is probably really dumb, but she's gonna morph anyway. Yeah, it's better for her to be morphed in this moment than not. Um. I do like that moment where they clock Jake on the view screen and, um, Tom starts panicking. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and at this point, Rachel, like, I could be elephant right now. <laughs> no one's gonna pay attention to me. Yep. Um, and Jake looks at her through the view screen, um, and tells her to go. And Tobias says her name, and she says, I know Tobias. Um, I was still not completely morphed when someone shrieked Animorph. After all these years of the Yerks thinking we were Andalites, always yelling Andalite whenever they saw a morph, it was strangely gratifying that at last they knew who we were. I said, that's right, genius, Animorph. I did what I did, what I do better than anyone, what Jake counted on me to do. I attacked. This fight is hardcore. Yeah. Um, she charges for Tom. Uh, someone fires a dragon beam, and Tom is like, "Hey, don't fire dragon beams, idiot! You're gonna harm the machinery." Morph. Um. So, 
as she's fighting Tom, he is trying to dodge, rolling into a ball, kind of trying to get away. The other Yerks here morph. Um, and Jake, who is watching this all on the view screen, is helping as best he can. Yeah. He's watching her back. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone, all the Yerks have morphed by the time she's she turns around. This um, is a packed-ass bridge. Yeah. This is two lionesses, a cape buffalo, and a polar bear. Yes. Um, and she thinks about how the polar bear was was her equal all by himself, the cape buffalo maybe as well. I could take either lioness, but the combina- combination was going to be rough. For a wondrous frozen moment, we all waited, stared, breathed, tensed, expectant. I felt, I felt exalted. It was my moment. This was my place and my time and my own perfection. I was no longer afraid. Weird. If I'd had a mouth, I'd have smiled. Well, I said. No one moved. Scared? I asked. No answer. You should be, I said, almost laughing. Uh, and she lunges for the polar bear, thinking that he is the biggest danger, so she needs to take him down first. The buffalo tries to, uh, uh, basically ram her with all of its power but he can't get the right momentum on the the metal floor there's this lovely line where the fight kicks mm-hmm. off where rach was like he had a bear morph i was my bear morph yes which is just uh, delicious the lionesses are attacking her um she morphs or no, she really hurts the polar bear by basically just ramming her paw into its gut. Yeah, she describes it as it's only a move that a human could think to do, which is like have the claws outwards like a fistful of knives, mm-hmm. is how she describes it. Because like, uh, she's being piled on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the polar bear begins to demorph uh, so that it doesn't die. Meanwhile, everything else, everyone else is still attacking her. Jake is yelling at her to look for Tom, but she doesn't see him. Um, the lions are attacking her one after the other, jumping on her back, uh, trying to get at her throat. Um, and she's continues to think about this polar bear. She has to stop him from remorphing. Um, she can't count on a second win against this polar bear. The buffalo is now doing these uh, short, sharp blows like a boxer rabbit punching. Uh, he figured that he couldn't really wind up and deliver a killing blow. Jake's voice sounds far away to her as he yells about looking out for Tom. And she thinks about how the slick floor handicapped the buffalo, uh, but also her, too, because she can't get enough traction. Um Yeah, there's too much blood on the floor, Yeah, to be clear. And there's this moment where she's like, wow, they are really really bleeding. And uh, her leg buckles. And she's like, oh, no, I'm really bleeding. Yeah. And uh, Jake calls out, though, it says he's a snake, a voice cried. So this could be Tobias, Mm -hmm. frankly. Wouldn't surprise me if it was. Mm -hmm. Um. And she's like, no, and in her sort of blood loss, losing slight handle and everything, and this focus on needing to take the polar bear off the field or keep the polar bear off the field, 
All she can think is, no, he's a bear. Mm-hmm. But then, hey, a cobra is uh, in up, up in her business and she remembers that Tom's more. Um, and he, he has spat venom in her eyes, effectively blinding her. And her first is, okay, demorph. No, bear. The lines are on me. Weak. Strange to be the bear and be weak. Strange. I realized I was no longer standing. I was flat on the floor. I heard my own slow breathing. I should be panting. Something striking at my face again and again. The cobra. Couldn't even see him. I had failed. Tom, alive. Tom's yelling at her to just die already. Tobias is crying out to her and she's crying out to him to help her. And he can't. And all she's asking for help, she's not asking for help for herself. She's asking for help to get Tom because she's just got to finish what she was here to do. And he does. He tells her, like, he's by your left paw towards your face. Get ready to grab him. And he cues her in and she does, she's able to get hold of Tom as this cobra. Um, and she's managed to impale him on her claws. Um, Tom is screaming in outrage. And literally, as the yerk in Tom's head is begging Jake to stop her, she bites the head off. I lay there in suspended animation. I felt myself floating. The bear was melting. Old grizzly bear, my friend. Good old bear. I demorphed. The snake was still in my mouth, motionless. I demorphed. I was Rachel again. The human Rachel. Alive, unhurt. I could have bounded up and gone off to the mall to shop. But I didn't kid myself. I didn't hope. I spit the snake out. I was surrounded on all sides. I was only a weak human girl now. The polar bear loomed over me, his strength the equal of my own grizzly. But now I was just me, just Rachel. I could see the view screen. I could see my best friend Cassie, Jake, Marco, funny Marco, Axe, Tobias. He had morphed. He was his human self once more. He'd done that for me. And because he was crying... I understood. Humans cry, hawks don't. I love you, I said to the screen. And oh, God, how could so much regret and so much sweetness and so much sadness all be present in that single moment? I was already dead and missing my unlived life. I was already dead and Tobias was mourning. I tried to smile for him. The polar bear said, you fight well, human. Then he killed me with a single blow. Time stopped. He came to me, the Elemist, the puppet master come to watch my final act. It figured. He was in his saintly old man guise, as fake as everything else about him. The all-powerful weakling, the mighty manipulator. You, I said accusingly. Yes. Who are you? I demanded. Who are you to play games with us? You, dis- you appear, you disappear, you use us. Who are you? What are you? And then, for what seemed like a very long time, the Elemist told me. I saw, I understood. But I also knew he would not save me. That he couldn't under the arcane rules of his millennia-long war with Krayak. The Elemist was there to honor me, and I guess that was nice of him. Wasn't going to help me much. 
I wanted so much to live. I wanted so much to stay and not to leave. In a moment, no answer would matter to me, but just the same, I wanted to know what I guess any dying person wants to know. Answer this, Elemist. Did I... Did I make a difference? My life and my... My death. Was it... Was I worth it? Did my life really matter? Yes, he said. You were brave. You were strong. You were good. You mattered. Yeah. Okay, then. Okay, then. I wondered if... It cuts off. Let me tell you, dear listeners, <laughs> there was no satisfaction in being right about that. Do not feel good about it. At all. And it's one of those things about tragedies. It's been forecast for so long. Really, and especially with hindsight, looking back, now knowing for certain, to look back at certain things and certain paths. But I was not prepared for the reality of how it went down. And it is a genuinely heartbreaking scene. The fact that we get these moments of connection, I can yell about the Elmis till the cows come home. And the fact, I said this back in 53, where she mentioned um, about the Andler, oh, we were hoping they're going to come here and tell us we did a good job. Mm -hmm. And that's all she asks here. But I suppose there is a comfort in asking somebody that can see everything. But also, again, it's very childlike. Mm -hmm. Like she talks about it being like anyone at the end would maybe ask. Maybe. And it's just. (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) Ptolemy's making choices. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just. Everything about it, the being, oh, now I see why you were making that point. Fuck me. After, <laughs> look, I was filled with book thoughts, all right? Because, <laughs> uh, hey, Danielle reminded me, and I was like, why are they bringing this up? And now having just, like, read that chapter again, because one of my earliest predictions um, was that Rachel would be blinded at some point during the war. I wasn't expecting it to maybe happen like 30 seconds before she died. But there it is. But this is what made 53 so frustrating from a Rachel point of view. Because these chapters, his four chapters Mm -hmm. we get with Rachel here. And it is so poignant and so potent as well. Like, we get to understand so much of how she thinks about it, her role in this grand scheme of things. And we were uh, talking the other day, I can't remember if this was something that was one of the links, it was one of the links he sent me, um, just a bit of meta, is the way the others view Rachel as enjoying the thing or doing the thing. And mistaking it as her willingness to do it and the fact that she can do it. Mm -hmm. Like, for all that there is the fight and she's like ready to go, like that boxer bouncing on the heels, ready to go. She's like, yeah, come on then. Fully ready to fight. 
a fucking polar bear, a cape buffalo, and two like it was stressed in that episode, bad as it was, how dangerous cape buffalo are. Mm. They are terrifyingly large and strong. And she's ready to fight and she's ready to go. And I don't think we're meant to think that that isn't true. She is raring for the fight. She's got the adrenaline going. But that understanding she has as it goes on and that moment of realizing, oh no, that's my blood. Mm -hmm. I'm on the floor. And how much blood there has to be on the floor for her to be slipping around like that. Mm -hmm. And then the just getting to be herself in the last moment and Tobias being human to say goodbye. It's like that. It reminds me a little bit, as I say this, of um, the end of Mad Max Fury Road, where they witness Nux as he does his sacrifice, mm -hmm. and the being seen and being and so being witnessed in doing mm -hmm. something, and her getting to say "I love you" and him hearing that. Mm -hmm. Danielle decided to share the evil post of first line spoken by the characters and last line spoken by the characters. <laughs> Because of who they choose to be as person. They didn't write the post. They did share it, though. Mm -hmm. um, <sighs> it's brutal. It's a brutal way that she dies. Some might argue it's a fitting way. And if one of the animals was going to die, it was probably always going to be her. But the fact that we knew that, or we had an idea of that, you knew that going in. <laughs> It doesn't make it easier. And that's sort of the nature of tragedy. Like we're told at the beginning of Romeo and Juliet how it's going to end. Mm -hmm. And you hope that it might turn out different this time. You know that they're going to die, but also what if they don't? What if there is the slightest chance? Because mm -hmm. that's tragedies for you. And like what would have had to have gone differently for Rachel to be alive? Yeah, it's... It's been an experience rereading the books because there is, and paying attention to a lot of the character choices and uh, stuff like that, um, you can hear when we recorded book seven, um, oh. you can hear, because I read, I read the line where Rachel goes in to the, the, the room with the Candrona in it against all of those Horkvajir, mm. and she narrates, um, I wasn't brave, I was just blind. Hmm. <laughs> and you can hear my voice break on audio <laughs> because I'm thinking of this. Yep. Uh, and, like, even before going into that book, when I was reading that book, I messaged Jen and I was like, Jen, <laughs> help. I can't handle this. And she hadn't read them. Yeah. In a long time, so she was like, "I don't know what you're talking about," and I was like, "Don't you remember with the with the thing? And Tobias has to help her, and she can't see." <laughs> you know, there's something really potent about having this conversation right now, and being able to see your uh, your sleeve tattoo, and just <laughs> Tobias and Marco, we've just we fight across it, and I'm there just like, uh huh, yep, <laughs> guess we do. <laughs> yeah, it's uh. This is, whenever I talk about 
uh, Rachel's characterization and how I don't like that in many points mm. uh, she is a doomed character not just because of the narrative but because she likes the war mm-hmm. um, and this idea that she's never going to be able to she would never be able to rehabilitate in any way yeah um like we we even see Jake he's not good but mm. he we see him over the course of several years get, get to better. a better place yeah um and like there there is obviously a very wide spectrum from like the Cassies to the Jakes mm-hmm. um in terms of who comes out the other side able to function yeah um but to say that rachel couldn't have yeah it's such a gross disservice yeah and the fact that in that last moment she isn't thinking about what a glorious way to go it's like i'm already missing the life i didn't get to have yeah she's a child yeah She's 16. Uh-huh. Like she do- there is vast swathes of her life that she doesn't get to live. Yeah. Um and it is heartbreaking on yeah. every level. I suppose I think the small mercy is that her death is quick. Mhm. Like getting knocked, being killed by a polar bear is go go quick at least and this is a detail I don't quite I appreciate that it's there and I wonder if it is a mark of respect because mm. when the spoilers the blade ship's going to get away but they leave Rachel's body to be found not just cast out into space mm-hmm. they the yurks aboard the blade ship make that choice yeah and it makes you feel like that line, uh, you fought well, human. There is actual respect there. Yeah. Think about, like, think about that moment, like, she, when she stands up and faces all of them, they don't immediately attack her. Yeah. Like, you think about the, the kinds of horror stories that exist among the Yerks about the bear. Yeah. Right? You know, it. Yes, exactly. Ptolemy. Exactly, Ptolemy. Uh, and how I'm sh- I'm certain that these Yerks are afraid of her. Yeah. Even despite their numbers and their powerful forms, you know, mm-hmm. they, uh, they don't take any chances with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they can respect the fight, the fighter in her. Yeah. But yes, of course, once again, the motif of hawks don't cry. Yeah, that was fine. Are you sure? You don't look fine. <laughs> you don't sound fine. But for somebody that is very introspective and isn't always necessarily good at voicing out loud his feelings, mm-hmm. Tobias knowing that the best thing he can do is make it so Rachel can see how much he's grieving already. Mm-hmm. because. She deserves to see it. Yeah. And her eyes look for him in that moment. She sees everybody, but Tobias is the one we stay with. And it is 
something, and this tracks with her choice in book two. Mm-hmm. It starts and ends with love mm-hmm. for her. Yeah. So we switch to Jake's perspective, and everyone's there like, no one's moving, no one's breathing. Toby Burson. She's scarred and bloodied. She tells him that the the other Yurks, the ones that were in engineering, uh, have surrendered. Um, and in order to get them to surrender, they had to promise amnesty and a chance to acquire the morphing power. Um, and nobody reacts to yeah, this. Ev- everyone's kind of freely disassociating right now. Um, <laughs> and Toby clocks not only that, but the fact that Tobias is in human morph. Mm-hmm. Uh, the person that she is named for. Um, and Jake is all Jake can do is like he hears the words, but all he's doing is watching this blade ship fire away. They don't fire on the ship, it's pulling away, flying away. Doesn't fire on the pool ship again, it just leaves. And Jake is saying, Tom is dead. And I wondered how I was ever going to explain it. I had ordered my cousin to execute my brother. How would I ever explain that? All these years I'd fought to keep us alive, to stop the Yerks, always with the hope that someday I would save my brother, that he would come back, that he'd be Tom again. That was why I'd enlisted in the war to begin with. I was going to save Tom. Tom was dead, the Yerk in his head was dead, and Rachel. And how many others? General Doubleday's soldiers had provided the suicidal diversionary attack on the ground the auxiliary animals who had gone with them to trick the enemy. How many of Toby's people? 17,000 Yergs frozen, flushed into space. Plus. Plus. All at my command. Command. Jake, I need your okay, Toby pressed. The Yergs want you. They want your assurance. And Vissel One does pipe up at this point, <laughs> sounding defeated. And he's just like, and he just calls them all traitors. Um, Toby is pressing Jake and it's Cassie who explains um, that they lost Rachel and that Tom is dead Yeah, and Toby explains that uh, Jara, her father also has died been killed in battle and Jake still can't make himself speak Marco's like, it's okay, Toby. Tell the Yerks Jake will be along in a minute. Tell them this one is our captive. Tell them we approve the deal you made. Act like my people may not agree. And Marco's like, yeah, guess what? This is our planet. These are our prisoners. This is our victory. If the Andalite High Command doesn't like it, they can come and try to take a piece of us. Uh, Cassie, meanwhile, is going over to Jake and sort of leans into him, the closest to a hug she can offer. And he's terrified she's going to say something sympathetic or try to comfort him. Because if she had, he would have just shut down. Because then it's real and unavoidable. And Cassie's the one that says, we still need you. You're not done yet, Jake. And that is what pulls him in. Like, And he's sort of, as I said, that disassociate, he's like looking at himself from the outside. Just like. And Cassie runs them like, everything else can wait. Because right now they have to do this. And 
he tells Toby, all right, I'll be right there. Tell them what Marco said. I'll get there soon to back you up. Toby leaves, um, shooting a last curious glance at Tobias. Jake is feverishly wishing that Tobias just comes for him. Um, he would welcome it. Uh, but he doesn't. And instead, Jake looks at Visser 1. And he's just questioning how it's possible that Visser 1 is alive and Tom and Rachel are dead. Uh, Visser 1's like, well, I guess you're gonna kill me now. Uh, it's gonna be better than whatever the Council of Thirteen has in store for me because they fucking hate people who lose pool ships under their command. And Jake's like, no more killing. And this is when Tobias it, like cracks, having not said anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you mean, no more killing? He's the one responsible for all of this. And Jake says, he's a prisoner of war. We don't kill prisoners. No, of course not, Visser One mocked. You merely destroy the ground base Yerk pool and kill thousands. And you add another 17,000 here on this ship. All defenseless, unhosted Yerks. But you don't kill prisoners. And Jake's like, yeah, okay. Marco, I want you to make sure the, the, the Visser leaves his host body. Uh, figure out how to do it. If he doesn't come out uh, on his own, cut him out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cassie, go get Eric. Uh, if he wants the chief secret to be kept, he needs to hide himself. We may have guests soon. And Cassie's like, do you want me to do anything else? And he's like, like what? An apology? To that robot? Sorry we blackmailed you into helping us? No. He drained off the dragon beams, and because of that, the blade ship got away. Because of that, Rachel died in vain. Because of him, who knows what will happen. Uh, Jake's consistent, accepting of his own guilt, and yet desperately ascribing blame on other people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, he tells Axe to knock out Visser 3, Visser 1. Uh, does so privately. Yep. And then he tells Axe to dial up High Command and tell them to stand by for communication and also open a simultaneous channel to the Andalite homeworld, to the people of the Andalite homeworld. And J- and Axe is like, Prince Jake, there's a specific <laughs> regulation forbidding me as an Arist from contacting the civilian media net. I'm required to work through the chain of command, my prince. Uh, and Jake's uh, clocks on to the fact that he's not fighting him on the command he's just looking for uh permission permission essentially because if the andalites are about to be here he it's giving axe protection yeah uh so jake orders him to do this exactly uh and axe is like all right cool and jake goes and sees toby uh, now I have to go see about Toby and then I'll be back. I want to see one slug in a jar and a ticked off Andalite on screen when I get back. Um, Toby's people control the doorway into engineering. Uh, Subvisor 74 uh, comes out to talk to him. Um, and Jake's like, look, we have the ship and Visser 1. You're not exactly in a position to bargain. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, but... We will go down fighting if we have to, and we'll take down as many of your people as we can. And he's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I don't want to fight anymore. That, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll parley. Um, and, uh, he's like, look, I don't have the morphing cube, but I pledge to use all my influence to gain agreement from the Andalites when they come. 
And she's like, oh, so it's come to us pleading uh, to the anim- to the Andalites after all. And he's like, yep. Uh, by the way, you're going to have to refill the Yurk pool. <laughs> and also, uh, I want you to do that. And then all of you exit your host bodies. Um, and the Yurk is like, and be helpless again. And Jake's like, yep, but I keep my word. Mm-hmm. And as he's leaving, he tells Toby that he's sorry about Jera. Um, and Toby says, he was the first of the free hork He was the father of his people, and he was my father. And now we switch to Cassie. Mm-hmm. And she is mourning. Immediately deep in her cups of grief. And can you blame her? No. And she's immediately sort of like caught in recollection. How can it be real? And we've seen, it's interesting, I think this is the first, no, we have had a Cassie, no, this is the first time Rachel has been, because we've had Cassie thought to be dead before, right? And then in alternate timelines, I think there's been a moment where they've maybe thought Rachel was, and we have seen Jake, them reacting to Jake. But I think this might be the first time we've really sat with Cassie's perspective in the headspace of grieving. Mm-hmm. And uh, we get some of the stuff that we've been missing for X number of books, which is Cassie talking about her friendship with Rachel, <laughs> about how they've been best friends forever, um, and how uh, she would tease Cassie about her clothes as Cassie teased her about obsessive shopping. How long ago had that been? A hundred years? She'd wanted to be a gymnast but thought she was probably too tall ever to be really good. And of course, all that was in the past too. She had this way of seeming untouched by what went on around her, unaffected, above. She was a person who could walk through a car wash and come out dry. She could move through a mosh pit and never be jostled. She could wear a white dress to dig in the mud and somehow never get a spot on her. But the war had touched her. She'd changed and she'd known she was changing. The war had revealed a hidden part of her soul. She alone of all of us, she liked it. Loved it even. She had enjoyed the fight. Sometimes I imagined her as a Viking or as a knight on a quest. That was what she was, a joyful warrior. And she had died fighting against impossible odds. Like a hole inside me. Like someone had taken a knife and carved a hole in my chest. Like I might cave in, be swallowed up and disappear into that hole. Beautiful Rachel. Poor Tom. And now all of us, the survivors, the victim perpetrators. Which we appreciate a line that goes hard in this house. <laughs> um, we've mentioned it before and in the break, uh, Shrug made the comment as well talking about this valorizing of rachel um and it's a, it's a mother mm-hmm. if this is this like but it's because they're looking back because mm-hmm. there's been plenty of times where rachel has been a mess mm-hmm. um and it's been great it's like rough and tumble part of it come up with like blood on in her teeth and stuff like that like mm-hmm. to say that she's been untouched by anything physically it's just like her soul but god it's just interesting to watch like cassie who we know is so emotionally intelligent and aware in her grief she's she's doing this Mm -hmm. but also again that 
don't want to say lack of understanding, but that impression of Rachel loving the fight. Mm-hmm. And it's just, yeah, uh, just imagining, like, they talk about, like, it's going to come the forgotten animorphs. But um, I'm just imagining, like, Saint Rachel mm-hmm. stuff and things like that, the way that, like, modern day saints and the way these people yeah. are held up. And I suppose there is. There is something, and again, this is part of, I know we've talked about doing um, an episode or a discussion with uh, some of our Jewish friends Mm -hmm. talking about the implications of um, the Jewishness of the Berenson's coming into play. All I can think of right now is um, may may their memory be a blessing Mm -hmm. and the way Rachel is talked about Mm -hmm. in this book. I'm just having a moment Mm -hmm. about it. Um, But hey, here's Eric. Uh, Cassie and Wolf Morph calling out in Thought Speak, walking down empty, weirdly empty, silent corridors. Yeah. And he comes out, um, and drops his hologram. Uh, and. She demorphs to match him. Yeah, she demorphs and is like, Hi, Eric. Hi, Cassie. He smiled sadly. Jake sent you. I nodded. I see. He feels guilty. No, not guilty. His eyes narrowed. Then what? He used me, blackmailed me, manipulated my programming to get me to break through the security grid and take control of the ship. You drained the dragon beams. What did Jake expect me to do? I had given him control when he needed it. I wasn't going to enable him to kill. The blade ship got away. Rachel, Jake had Rachel with Tom. Rachel and Tom are both, and the ship got away anyway, thanks to you. And I'm supposed to feel regret because Jake ordered his cousin to kill his brother and I didn't allow him to massacre everyone else on the blade ship? That made me mad, and I guess I showed it. (laughs) So you too, huh, Cassie? Jake did what he had to do. Did he? Someone flushed the yerk pool into space. Did he have to do that, too? They were unhosted yerks. They were harmless. We needed a de- I stopped myself. A what? A what did you need? A diversion? You're going to tell me you needed a diversion so Jake massacred 17,000 sentient creatures? A diversion. I took a deep breath. Jake says maybe you should get off the ship, Eric. The Andalites will most likely be coming aboard soon. It's up to you whether you go on keeping your existence secret. We won't divulge it. I see. Bye, Eric. He nodded. Then, as he was passing, he took my arm in his pseudo-hand. Take care of Jake. He's going to need you. I fucking love Eric. Yeah. It is it is simultaneously makes so much sense that he would say this and is also just like the coldness of something that's lived for millennia. Mm-hmm. To just call it out like that. Yeah. Because <laughs> he isn't wrong and he, he he just isn't sugarcoating it. Yeah. And the and thing is, he's allowed to be angry about what was done to him. Mm-hmm. And he, why would he want, and the fact that Jake doesn't even apologize. Yeah. Because if Jake had said, I'm really sorry we had to do that, I thought it was necessary. Mm -hmm. I'd be pissed. Yeah. And there is something about him going, no, this is what was done to me, so I'm going to be brutally honest with you. Mm -hmm. You don't get to shield yourself with thinking that you are without fault right now. And we know Cassie's already aware of this because she's just described them as the victim perpetrators. Like, yeah. she's aware. But 
my man Eric out here just like, oh, what? Are you yeah, you try to deny this? And it's this interesting, I say interesting, it's this potent counterpoint to the way Jake was mm -hmm. talking about the 17,000. Mm -hmm. It's just so much. Yeah. And we aren't going to hear from the Chi again. Nope. This is the last we see of them. But the fact that his last words is, is to take care of him, like, mm -hmm. Even in his anger and his laying it all out like they're cold as anything, it still shows empathy to mm -hmm. Jake's position. Yeah. It's it's interesting to me because him draining the dragon beans is just extremely vindictive of him. Oh yeah, it's petty. And it's it's strange to me that he thinks that because he must have, because of you know, someone asked a question in the server, how does that does programming even work? Because him draining the dragon beans, knowing that Tom has betrayed the Visser and intends to destroy the pool ship, mm -hmm. him draining the dragon beans means that the pool ship can't defend itself anymore and is dead in the water mm. and extremely vulnerable to the blade ship. Um, but he chooses to do it anyway in order to stop Jake from firing on the blade ship. Mm -hmm. And I mean, at this point, I could understand Eric assuming, well, Jake's already done this. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to trust this ship yeah. with weapons. Like Axe mm -hmm. earlier said, this is a floating weapons platform. Mm -hmm. It's just interesting to me because I wonder what that calculation looked like in Eric's brain. Mm -hmm. um, like, is he doing the math and saying, like, well, there are a hundred, Tom said that him and a hundred of his best people. So yeah. there are a hundred people on the blade ship. Is he figuring that there are fewer than that on the pool ship now that the 17,000 have been jettisoned into space? Maybe. Um, and We don't know. We don't get to find out. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's wild to me that we know that Eric can't take action that would harm people but we have seen him through inaction mm. ha like not stop harm yeah and so it's just like how does this even work there's some malicious compliance here yeah it feels like and and especially like when you consider what do, what do the chi define as harm because the the chi they can't do surgery on somebody they can't do surgery on somebody but they can keep a yerk in uh, solitary confinement inside their head. But because they're being fed, it doesn't count? Yeah, it's wild. It, it really does strike me as a physical mm -hmm. harm thing. Yeah. That that is their metric. Yeah. But we don't know. Mm -hmm. um, it's one of those things where we can, nay, we maybe should do a whole roundtable episode talking about the chi. Hmm. And the implications of pacifism and um, where I am, I don't know whether it was uh, Sean or Jawasco or somebody else mentioning um, Asimov, because uh, we, mm -hmm. we did the same thing, just chatting casually about how some of what Eric's actions do mm -hmm. feel very reminiscent of that. Mm -hmm. But uh, hey, I love this moment because now we cut back to the bridge. Mm -hmm. Here's Marco watching as the Yerk uh, crawls out of uh, the Andalite body ear. Uh, 
Vessel One goes into a lockable briefcase. Mm-hmm. Um, he's kind of amused to find that it was filled with chocolate chip cookies because clearly some human controller had a bit of a sweet tooth and mm-hmm. figured it'd be really hard to get cookies on a ship. Uh, he eats one of the cookies um, and holds the case open and Axe is just like, I could easily cut him in half. And I love how it's Axe said conversationally. Mm-hmm. And Mark is like, nah, probably better not. Tobias has gone back to um, what was his normal form, as it's described, um, glaring at this yerk. And Marco's not entirely sure that Tobias isn't just going to swoop in and uh, nail the vessel. And Marco's not sure he would stop him. I'm got. I'm probably the least emotional of the group, which makes me very sad in and of itself that he views himself that way. Um, it's always in my virtue and my failing that I see the clear path from A to Z without the distraction of moral considerations. I don't want to say I'm ruthless. I'm not. But I have the ability. I can see the ruthless way clearly. I have to sort of add the morality back into the equation after the fact. I had no deep qualms about the 17,000 any more than I had about our attack on the ground-based yurt pool. I knew why Jake had sent Rachel to Tom. I agreed with his thinking. But then I wasn't in love with Rachel. I wasn't some lonely kid trapped in a hawk's body, half in one world, half in another, with only Rachel's love tying me to my humanity. Maybe Tobias would eventually accept what Jake did. Maybe not. It was weird. I was watching our greatest foe place himself literally into our hands. We had beaten Vissa one. Maybe later we'd celebrate. Then we get the visual of Axe picking him up, and we've got Axe picking up this one between two fingers. Mm-hmm. But goes into the briefcase. Uh, the combination lock is locked for some reason. <laughs> um, I guess we won, Axe. Yes, shouldn't someone be singing God Bless America? Axe looked puzzled and decided to let it go. Yep. Um, and is going to go about accessing the communications array. Yep. <clears throat> And then, um, yeah, the remaining yerks on the bridge were being very cooperative now. Seeing your great leader in a box will do that, I guess. Um, and they're following Axe's instructions. Um, but hey, we got uh, Andalite. Uh, as Jake hoped, we have an aggrieved Andalite face up on the view <laughs> screen. Uh, and he's like, who the fuck is this? And assumes that they're all yerks. And Axe is like, we're not yerks. We've taken control of the pool ship. And he's like, yeah, fucking right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was the... the uh, what is uh, Mark the Earth Liberation Army? Mm-hmm. A wonderfully grandiose name for a handful of kids. Um, and but to be fair, as this goes on, this gen, this war prince in disbelief, assuming it's just a trap. Um, Mark's like, well, you can't blame him for it, but he's able. Axe gives the location of a Yurk blade ship. Give uh, gives the um, coordinates slash trajectory mm-hmm. of the blade ship. Um, and this is when Jake shows up as this Andalite's like, anything else, yuck. Um, <laughs> and this is, this is, uh, great because Jake's like, perfect. How do we get around this? Because they're being stonewalled effectively. Mm-hmm. And hey, a Lauren chips in, uh, free of Visa One. Um, a Lauren Symmetry Kuras, uh, is waking up from being knocked unconscious. Um, and the officer on the script, so the deception is over. I see the Visser has revealed himself. 
Anna Lauren asks permission from Jake first before speaking. Uh, and Mark's like, this is a weird moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Jake respectfully um, nods and respect, like, please continue, War Prince Lauren. And Lauren's just like, who are you? To this guy on the screen. He's just like, uh, I am Officer Jibril Castan. I am Officer of the Day aboard the Andalite Dome ship. He hesitated and there was a slight ironic smile. An Andalite smile, of course, which is all in the eyes. The Dome ship Elfangor. Axe swelled about a size. A dome ship named for Elfangor. There is no higher honour for a warrior. A well-named ship, Lauren said. Now, Officer of the Day, Offeran. You're going to want to contact the captain because you have just captured a Yerk pool ship. We will advance at space normal speed to any point you name. All bugfighters will be deployed around the ship and as we reach the rendezvous point, you will see all the bugfighters self-destruct. At that time, we will detach the pool ship's main engines. All weapons will be powered down. The ship will be perfectly helpless. This got Offeran's attention. He turned a shade of lighter blue. It was kind of as if in the middle of World War II, the Japanese Navy had called up the US Navy and gone, hey, we're going to turn over our biggest aircraft carrier to you. Come on over and pick up the keys. Um, but then another uh, Andalite appears on the screen, one with a burn scar and missing a stork eye. And this somebody that acts immediately recognize a very big time person in the uh, Andalite military. Mm -hmm. Who is uh, not necessarily impressed? He's just like Vissa. I refuse to. And this is where Marco, my son, <laughs> my wonderful, perfect son, uh, chips in because he realizes what's Marco realizes what's happening. Um, and he's just like, "Hey, Axeman," I said brightly. "Is it true the Andalite homeworld is watching all this? Can I wave to them?" I wave like one of those idiots outside the Today Show. Hi, everyone. Howard Stern rules. Yeah. And that just fucking stops everything. <laughs> you could practically see the wheels turning in old Asculan's nasty looking head. Jake looked for a minute like he might slap me silly and Axe basically turned to stone. But then Jake gave me a nod. He got it. So did Lauren. I should have mentioned that under orders from his prince, Aris... Arith's Aximili has patched this communication through to the civilian net. And big deal, uh, War Prince uh, Asgard does not look happy about this, um, <laughs> realising he's in a trap. Mm -hmm. Somebody who knows he's in a trap and does not like it. Yep. And then we get this wonderful exchange wherein Marco is Jake's Rage translator. Yes, uh, yes, yes, yes. Jake stepped into Askelan's line of sight. Captain Askelan, we know that the Andalite fleet is devoted to the destruction of the Yurk threat, and I and we know that you must be personally committed to that goal. We know you've come here to turn Earth into a great big charcoal briquette because you think it's the only way to stop the Yurks. Because of your devotion to duty, it may almost seem a disappointment to reach your goal <laughs> at long last, only to discover that your foe has essentially surrendered. It's over. At this point, we have, we have to set aside the necessary ruthlessness of war, the suspicion and hostility, and turn instead to the more satisfying duties of making peace. Your people back home are watching, and if you come in guns blazing, annihilating a peaceful people, your own peaceful civilians will never stand for it. Our victory could never have occurred without the support of our Andalite friends. Look, we're willing to share the credit. You people did squat for us, but we're willing to spread the kudos around freely. I look forward to our two peaceful peoples working closely together to form 
a deep and abiding friendship. We have so much to learn from our Andalite brothers, just as we have already learned so much from the great Elfangor and his no less courageous and resourceful brother, Aximali. The domeship Elfangor is going to come and annihilate all the real Elfangor's work, kill his little brother who happens to be a ready-made Andalite hero. Guess again, you mean old fart. (laughs) The captain listened to all this impassively, but I could see the steam sort of leaking out of him. By the end of Jake's little speech, his eyes were glazed over. He knew he'd been trapped, but good. And the truth was, he was probably relieved. Who exactly are you? Asculin asked Jake. I jerked my thumb at a friend. I jerked a thumb at my friend. This is Jake. Jake Berenson, president of Earth. <laughs> so they fly to the rendezvous point. Um, exactly as Aloran promised. Yes, they, they deploy the bug fighters, detonate them. Uh, Andalite fighters come out and surround them, and uh, Asculin and his people board the ship. Um, and at this point, uh, Marco tells Jake, like, hey, you gotta send Axe down to go collect this guy, because the boss doesn't go down to the airport, he sends a limo or whatever. Um, and Marco's like, look, you're a 16-year-old kid, but the Andalites don't know that. Play the part be the part um and fucking cassie is like because tobias sends marco like just a withering death because marco's laughing it up he's just like you gotta be the part man yeah and cassie's like tobias this is a big moment don't you think rachel would want us to enjoy it as much as we can i don't know he snapped if she were alive i'd ask her like cassie too fucking soon my girl, you can't just be dropping that right now. It's been like half an hour. <laughs> yeah, it's so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Andalites come aboard and uh, are clearly, like everyone except for the Captain Prince is clearly excited about this prospect like, it's that clear, they have. It's described as like there's a bunch of nerds. All these Andalites like, woo, we're finally on a, pull, we're finally on a pool ship, got a little of these toys. Yep. This is a really big victory for the Andalites. Yeah. Um. And and Jake just plays the part to a T. Yes. He fucking aces this. Yep. And he goes right in and says, uh, you know, thank you for coming over. As soon as we settle some details, I'll be glad to turn the ship over to you. Um, the Yerk prisoners of war have been promised the opportunity to be subjected to the morphing technology. So have a number of the taxons down on the surface. And the captain just flat out denies him. And Jake is like, I promised them. <laughs> the Captain Asculin is like, you didn't have any right to promise them what you don't own. Uh, and-, and Marco continues to be rage interpreter because yeah. uh, Jake doesn't want to get mad. Marco has no problem doing so. He's like, mm-hmm. hey, we're handing you a Yerk pool ship. And by the way, there are another couple of dozen major Yerk vessels back in orbit around Earth and you can snap them up easy thanks to us. And Askelon just ignores Marco, like blanks him, and he's just talking with Jake, like war prince to war prince. Mm-hmm. We're very grateful. But Yerk technology, while no doubt fascinating to my officers, and you can just imagine, like, the mm-hmm. glare with one of the stalker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's of interest, um, but no more than that. Marco's like, we won your lousy war for you, you pompous old, and Jake cuts him off. Like, my promise to the Yerks and the Taxons will be honored. And this guy's like, nah, it's property of the, the morphing tech is property of the Andalite people. 
Um, and he's like, I'm aware that you're morph capable yourself as well as a number of your people. Despite the fact that this was illegal, we don't intend to take the action against you for that. But the technology will not be made available any further. And Cassie tries to explain the thing that the understanding that she's come to, that how it's a way out, a way out for the Yerks. Um, and it's long as the biggest. But she's trying to put that, and Ascalon's just like, no, no Yerk is ever, no Yerk or Taxon will ever be given the morphing technology, which just a nice little parallel to Visa One mm -hmm. refusing to give them yep. anything. And Jake realizes he doesn't have anything to leverage against Asculin. Um, and he's tempted to just give up the point. To just be like, what? Why am I fighting this battle? I don't want to fight this battle. Like, hmm. the, they can just... Fine, fuck it. I tried. Yeah. What more can they want? And Marco is the one... You can't give in now. Because this is the first step. Because this is the first liaison between humankind and Andalites. Mm -hmm. And if Jake lets this one go, it sets a tone. Mm -hmm. But then fucking Axe mm -hmm. is like, I declare a challenge. And like most of the Andalites in the room are like, full on like, stop breathing. Marco doesn't get what it means. War Prince Ascalon just laughs at him. And so you're not in a position to declare a challenge. You'd have to be of a princely rank or have support of an adelite of princely rank. And then Alora is just like, I hold that rank. <laughs> um, and I said, Alora, you are under suspicion already for your actions on the Hawk-Bajir world. I wouldn't. What I did on the Hawk-Bajir world was precisely what you and the fleet were preparing to do to this world. Just I was under orders. You acted alone. I still retain my rank, Alora and I'm I am a war prince. This Aris has declared a challenge and I support his challenge. The requirements of the law are satisfied. And Mark is like, can somebody like let us know what a challenge is? And Axe explains, um, it's the right and obligation of any Andalite warrior to challenge the order of a superior if he thinks the superior is violating the fundamental rights of the electorate. And Mark is like, how do people ever fight wars if you can challenge anything your superior officers tell you to do? And Axe like, Look, if the challenge fails, uh, he'd be exiled permanently. His tail blade would be cut off. This is a big deal for Axe to do this. Um, and Alora's like, yeah, Ascalon, underneath the law, you can declare an emergency and continue until we can arrange for the challenge to be judged. But I do not see how a court could agree that this negotiation over prisoners can possibly be called a legitimate emergency, in which case you would lose your rank and position and be exiled. And Ascalon's like, I know the law. Um, and Jake's just like watching this. This mm. is a moment. And Ascula's just like, I will confer with my officers. He seems to think we should all leave the bridge and let him hold his meeting. And Jake's like, I fought for this ship, Captain. You were invited aboard. <laughs> and probably not the best idea to antagonize him, but he wasn't going to start playing the wimp now. Mm -hmm. um, and now they just wait. Um, Aloran tells uh, axe is just kind of like shivering yeah. and aloran's like yeah so he's gonna contact high command um and they're gonna discuss whether they think they could win the challenge high command in general is going to be extremely conservative so if they come back and take the challenge and go forward with it then they're extremely confident that they can win um and jake's like okay and by the way aloran thanks for standing up for axe and all of us Aloran turned his main eyes to me. He gave me a strange look. 
I never hoped to be free again. You freed me. I have done what I have done in my life. I am what I am, though I may have gained at least some wisdom through the years of enslavement to Visser One. Just the same, I will always be Aloran, the Butcher of Horkvajir. Aloran, the only Andalite to be taken alive by the Yerks. But disgraced, even despised, for whatever I am worth, I am yours to command. The speech was delivered in a low thought-speak tone, all emotions severely controlled. But then Aloran whipped his tailblade over his head so fast it cracked like a whip. He smiled the subtle Andalite smile and yelled, Do you know who did that? Do you know who moved my tail? I did. I did. I did it. Um, and Askelin doesn't come back to the bridge. He just sends one of his lackeys <laughs> to be like, Yeah, we... We're, the Captain Askelin issues the following orders. Four morphing cubes will be made available to Arist XMLI to use as he sits, sees fit. Arist XMLI is hereby elevated to the rank of Prince... Prince Eximali is appointed liaison between the Andalite fleet and the people of Earth. Um, Axe withdraws his challenge, and at that moment, with the polite exchange of messages, the war against the Yurks was over. <laughs> <laughs>